This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. We have an interesting uh, show for you uh, this week. Uh, John Beeler and myself have been down in Las Vegas for the big Hewlett-Packard Enterprise Discover Conference. Uh, learned all sorts of cool things uh, about where technology is going. Everything from uh, the eBay marketplace for car data to uh sequencing the genome of plants, uh, really fascinating stuff. And we're going to get to some of those uh, interviews. But uh, right now, uh, I want to talk about the big story this week, uh, Facebook, uh, again, trying to take over the world, but with currency. We've uh, got our good uh, friend on the line, uh, Michael Vogel from NetCoins. Thanks for joining us, Michael. Oh, my pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me. Uh, so what's happening here? Facebook has announced that they're going to get into the cryptocurrency uh, game. Yeah, two very different worlds are colliding. So we have Facebook, and it doesn't get more mainstream than that. They've announced that they want to uh, create their own global currency, which just so happens to be a, a cryptocurrency, uh, of all things. And so they've pitched it as an idea where they can uh, serve people that are underbanked, maybe in parts of the world that, you know, Africa and Southeast Asia, where there's not traditional solid banking, that they can use this Facebook coin and uh, even people here in North America can use this Facebook coin instead of PayPal or credit cards. So it's quite an ambitious goal that they've announced. How is this different from uh, Bitcoin? So the way that they've pitched it is uh, unlike Bitcoin, which is very volatile and obviously investors are attracted to that. But what they've said is uh, we want to create a stable coin uh, at Facebook so that people can use it more for day-to-day transactions. So um, it'll be priced somewhat similar to the US dollar or the euro, they haven't exactly announced how it will be structured, but the claim is is essentially that the, the Facebook Libra coin will be backed by an equivalent amount of, of fiat currency. So they, uh, they've spent the last year uh, setting aside, uh, the rumor is up to a billion dollars of, uh, of funds just to, to sit behind the scenes to give this Libra coin some, some real uh, value. Is that enough? Yeah, that, yeah, that's a very good question. So Facebook obviously is one of the largest, if not the largest, marketplace on Earth. They, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it doesn't get more global than that. So uh, if it really takes off and, and has legs, then uh, yeah, what does it really mean for 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 other traditional currencies like U.S. dollar or euro? Uh, you know, everyone uses their phone, everyone uses Facebook. Uh, it actually seems like a very logical extension that you would just use your your Facebook currency to buy things online or or send money between friends on WhatsApp, right? Which is also a Facebook product. It's interesting because uh, within a day, uh, regulators, lawmakers from around the world have uh, uh, spoken up saying uh, they've got a lot of reservations about Facebook getting into its own currency game. But can they do anything to stop them? Well, yeah. So so Facebook's definitely not popular these days in terms of privacy and, and how they're handling data. So uh, for, for users to... To trust them with uh, something as important as a currency is definitely a, an interesting question. Um, I think where regulators do have control is essentially on the onboarding of, of when people convert their dollars or euros into the Facebook coin or into Bitcoin or into a cryptocurrency. That's when the traditional banking laws um, uh, take effect, right? But you know, once you're onboarded into the Facebook Libra ecosystem, um, you know, there's nothing that really prevents people from transferring coins pseudo anonymously between each other. So, um, yeah, I think once there's a transition from regular banking into this online cryptocurrency world, whether it's with Bitcoin or whether it's with the Facebook Libra coin, um, I think they're pretty much free to do what they want. 
You think Bitcoin's in trouble? Is this a big competitor to Bitcoin? Uh, I I wouldn't necessarily call it a competitor just because of you know one is volatile and one is more of a an investment class, whereas the Facebook coins designed more as a, a you know a transactional based currency. Uh, I think what it does do is uh, give Bitcoin a big seal of approval, right? I mean, for a company like Facebook to even use the word cryptocurrency in in this announcement. Uh, says a lot about the industry and adds a lot of credibility. I mean, just think you know, three or four years ago, um, Bitcoin was sort of a, um, a taboo word. You know, people just thought it was associated with terrorism and, and you know, nothing good. But, uh, you know, here we are, you know, giant corporation Facebook creating its own cryptocurrency. So I don't think Bitcoin is in trouble. I think, uh, I think it's just, just been given a very big public left. So, Michael, do you think they have a chance to be successful with this? Uh, I think Facebook definitely has the the market size behind it, right? It's it's a, a very large ecosystem. And if you know, if you look at their WhatsApp product, uh, it has a very large following in, in India in particular. So um, I think in terms of sort of a, a financial technology revolution um, in places like India, where there's, you know, huge amounts of mobile connectivity, but and certainly in rural parts, uh, there aren't a lot of people that have bank accounts, but they have a cell phone. So I think, I think it's a very important innovation that Facebook is creating. There's definitely some some caveats in terms of privacy and and whatnot. But um, I, I I think sort of looking back at this ten years into the future, I think uh, I think it's a very important milestone. Are we going to see this fragmented even more? Are we going to see like Google and Apple get into this game too? Yeah, so I think basically Facebook has, has set a precedent here. Um, certainly all the big companies were watching cryptocurrency very carefully and Facebook in particular and Apple uh, have, have gone through a, a love-hate relationship. They uh, Facebook banned uh, Bitcoin companies from advertising on their platform uh, a couple years ago and then within the last year lifted that ban. Uh, likewise, Apple was banning Bitcoin wallet apps from being on their, on their uh, app store. But they've re- since reversed that. And so um, I, I don't think this Facebook coin will be the last. Um, Facebook was very smart in, in terms of how they brought on other partners like PayPal to, to sort of combine efforts. But yeah, I, I, I don't think uh, it, it would be unlikely that we, we wouldn't see um, Google or, or Apple trying the same thing. Um, and the very, very interesting reason is, you know, when you think about what Facebook's business really is, it's an advertising company and they... They influence what people buy and sell through ads on their platform. And by now creating a payment method, they will actually know what you are buying and selling because they can see where these coins are moving from and, and how they're being transferred. So I think it's smart from a business point on, on Facebook side. And I think, uh, yeah, a company like Google or, or Apple is, is definitely going to be jealous that uh, they didn't launch this before them. We're talking with Michael Vogel from Netcoins, all about uh, Facebook's new cryptocurrency, Libra. Uh, and we'll uh, have to see how this all pans out in the coming months uh, and years. Thanks for joining us, Michael. Thanks so much, Mike. When we come back from the break, we're uh, headed to Las Vegas to find out what's new with uh, technology when it comes to things like uh, plants and hospitals and even car data. It's super fascinating stuff. Stay tuned. You're back with Get Connected. Uh, Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We've uh, been down in Las Vegas for... Uh, the big HPE Discover 
show. This happens every uh, year, and uh, you've probably heard of HP before, Hewlett-Packard. Well, back in 2015, they actually separated the company into two companies. Uh, Hewlett-Packard still concentrates on things like laptops and desktop computers, uh, printers, uh, so we're all familiar with that. Uh, the other side uh, is Hewlett-Packard Enterprise, and so this is uh, the side that deals with all the big uh, servers and new technologies coming out for governments and, and big companies uh, around uh, the world. So there's some really fascinating stuff uh, that we see when we're down at uh, this show. What kind of stood out for you, John? Um, it was really interesting to see some of the displays where they actually have customers showcasing how they're using HP's technologies. Um, and they typically seem to always have an engineer handy that worked on it. And so we got to see a lot of really interesting applications, stuff we didn't even think about, you know, uh, you know, uh, farming and drones and all this kinds of stuff. Uh, and they have like this big field in the middle of the, of the, of the show floor. Um, it's, a, it's a little surreal being here and not being at CES, too. <laughs> yes, the Consumer Electronics Show in January. Yeah, because uh, it's basically in the same same hall, and uh, it's uh, it's just a very different kind of vibe. Um, but <clears throat> excuse me, lots of servers, <laughs> towering racks of uh, computers everywhere here uh, on display. It's interesting talking to some of these scientists. They're working on things that we might not even see for like 10 years down the road. Uh, one of the big things, uh, photonic uh, computing, so using photons. Yeah. And I don't even understand fully, but they're using light and photons to transmit uh, computing and data. They had a very big display showcasing sort of where we're going and where we've been as far as how memory and um, processing power has all been uh, integrated. And definitely going to the, the photon level is very interesting to see where we could go with that. I mean, we're... This feels like Star Trek level stuff, yeah. And, and the computing power that these are going to enable, and the uh, applications that uh, we'll be able to use with that technology. Yeah, one interesting uh, area was uh, healthcare, and we know technology is a big part of uh, healthcare. Uh, but there's uh, a mass amount of computing that happens in the background now, especially when it comes to patient uh, data, which I think is getting better and better. Like back in the day, John, like, do you know anything about your medical records? No, no. We still probably don't really, <laughs> but down in the U.S., uh, a lot of the hospitals are, are now uh, making that information more readily available to patients. So, you know, through an app, a secure app, you can actually find out your medical history and all the tests and the test results uh, that you're getting uh, when you go to the uh, hospital. And, you know, we'll see more and more of that in Canada. But they're also using uh, computers, especially powerful uh, computers, uh, to save lives uh, as well. And they used a, a neat example uh, by using things like wearables uh, for patients in uh, the hospital. Uh, they can discharge these people a lot quicker and send them back home. They still have the wearables, so the hospital and the doctors are getting that data so they know that the patient, uh, you know, their heart rate and blood pressure and things like that uh, are stable. And if there's any problems, they can call them back in again. That's right, yeah. And, and definitely, you know, this isn't just your a typical Fitbit. Yeah. It's a much more advanced little wearable. But the fact is you're not in the hospital as long as you may have been in the past. It's also interesting, too, uh, they did another uh, example uh, uh, sepsis is a uh, a big issue in uh, in hospitals, and you know one in three people in hospitals die from that. Yeah, which is really scary. Yeah, I, I did not know that. But uh, now with the uh, you know when they have these uh, these high end computers uh, in the hospitals doing this computing, they can actually track uh, patients and and what's happening with them, and just based on. Uh, the history of all the data that they have, they can actually predict before someone will get sepsis. 
it's a, it's a perfect example of machine learning and artificial intelligence being applied uh, for something that actually saves lives. Yeah, we also got a chance, uh, you know, and it's the strangest companies that you wouldn't think would be using these high-end servers. Like we uh, talked with some folks uh, at one of the big law firms, the biggest law firm in Canada, um, and they use servers, big, huge uh, computers to, to process all the data that the lawyers, I think they got like a thousand lawyers yeah. at this law firm, um, just to process all that data coming in from all their clients. Yeah, all the client data, the invoicing, all that type of stuff. Okay, so one of my favorite things uh, that uh, we got to try was the Star Wars uh, VR experience uh, that they put on. Yeah, they, I was not expecting to be walking the show floor and all of a sudden see a giant uh, Star Wars exhibit. And then they had this VR experience where you could go. And, and I, I think the sort of the tie-in with HP was that HP powered all of the processing uh, for the VR uh the video game stuff that you see, but you go into this uh, this place, you put on a vest, you put on a helmet, um, you're given a blaster, and then as soon as you put the helmet on, what you see is yourself being transformed into a stormtrooper. This was uncanny. Like I didn't realize that virtual reality was this good. Uh, this is definitely the best experience that I've ever had um, in VR uh, because it was so immersive and so quickly. We all had headsets as well, so we could talk to each other. Yeah. Um, so and, you'd go in groups of four. Yeah, and then you'd sort of be a, a, a little squad, and you're basically trying to basically do some part of uh, a scene from Rogue One where you're helping uh, uh, to, you know, just... just Killed the bad guys, and you've got K2SO, and uh, and everyone's there trying to guide you along. But what I didn't expect was that we'd actually be going through like a maze. Right? Yeah. So this this place we were in, it's actually a bunch of little rooms, and the virtual reality when you have this headset on, it basically paints this entire picture uh, of uh, this installation that the you know the Empire's installation that uh, you're in, and you're actually walking through, like physically walking through yeah. these rooms. And it was so immersive. I mean, you get the audio you get um, all the visuals you raise your hand up and you see a stormtrooper's hand hand. yeah you see your stormtrooper hand when I looked over at you you're a stormtrooper yeah 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 and we're talking to each other Uh, the blasters uh, you know we're shooting other bad stormtroopers I guess all stormtroopers are bad and even you know, we had to take on Darth Vader. That did not go well. No, uh, no, no. But um, the the vest that we had on too, uh, when you got shot, yeah, you, you felt you, it. You felt it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've done that kind of stuff before. But this just seemed like a. It, it's all part of the experience. Like even going in and getting suited up, you're on like this crazy room with all these uh, suits, and you go and sort of get installed into your into your outfit. Yeah. And uh, they just do a really good production around it with, with actual humans in there uh, as you're getting. Uh, set up um but yeah and it went really quickly i mean it was probably about half an hour i guess we were in there for was it that long maybe yeah well i mean start to finish like yeah. getting suited up and everything like that but definitely uh one of the best experiences uh, in vr that i've seen and it doesn't hurt that it's all star wars related too oh yeah and the graphics were amazing but you know the sheer amount of computing power and just everything talking to each other i can't even fathom how that's all working together to make it so seamless yeah yeah and it it, it looked truly good and immersive and that's really hard to do well especially with a a, a property that everyone knows and loves like star wars yeah so this uh experience was called star wars secrets of the empire i don't know if they're going to be putting these out into uh 
other locations? Well, I, I think uh, at the Venetian, they have this thing called The Void, which is where you can go and experience VR stuff. And I think this is one of the first ones that they're doing, uh, and it just happened to be tied into HP uh, event launch as well. Yeah, I think the big thing for me was being able to move from room to room. That made that a whole different experience because typically with VR – you you know you got the headset on, but you can't really move, or you're going to kill yourself because you're going to walk off the stairs or well, yeah, <laughs> into the lamp. And that's the thing is we were walking on gantries, we went into an elevator, all this kind of stuff, and it really felt like we were actually on a battle station somewhere in space. Yeah, like it just it was so so well done. Yeah. So Mike and John, uh, we've uh, been down in Vegas uh, checking out uh, the Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Uh, Discover Conference. Uh, we're going to do a few interviews uh, during this show, uh, just talking to some really interesting uh, people and uh, even a scientist uh, as, as well. Uh, one of them uh, is uh, going to talk about, uh, I guess, the eBay for car data, which yeah. is which is interesting because I never even thought about this. Um, you know, car makers, they want to make the best car, but obviously there's so many different conditions in all the different countries, the climates, but they're not always going to have all that information. Cars have lots of sensors on them, uh, but they're obviously just going to get the sensor information from their cars. Right. So if you are like maybe a luxury car uh, manufacturer, you might not have that many cars on the ground in Nigeria or, you know, Finland or, or wherever. Uh, but now uh, HPE, they're actually powering this marketplace with a, uh, a car parts manufacturer where you can buy data from other car manufacturers. It's like the eBay for car data. It, it, it makes perfect sense. Like, you know, why, why try to do and re- reinvent the wheel every time yourself when all these other vehicles are doing the same types of things? And so being able to have a much richer, fuller data piece of the pie makes a lot of sense. We're also going to be talking uh, with a, uh, a plant scientist uh, about uh, mapping the genome of uh, plants, especially crops, uh, things like wheat, uh, so that uh, – you can actually uh, make even better strains of uh, these particular crops so you can actually have better crop uh, yields. And it is amazing uh, the computing power they need to make that happen. Yeah, he's got some great analogies about how it all works. And, uh, yeah, I know it sounds weird, but you have to stay tuned to, uh, to, to hear all about that and how much more complex plants are than humans. Yeah, I had no idea. I did not know either. Makes sense, though. Yes. We're kind of dumb. <laughs> the plants will be here much longer than we will. Uh, when we come back, we'll uh, be learning more about uh, all these cool technologies. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We've uh, been down in Las Vegas this week for HPE Discover. Hewlett-Packard uh, Enterprise, they put on this big show every year to show the latest in technology, uh, everything from smart cities to smart hospitals, uh, you name it, they're uh, covering it down here. This next interview is very interesting. Uh, it's all about uh, gene sequencing or, or you know, mapping genomes. Uh, that was done to the human genome uh, a number of years ago. Well, there is a company now that uh, is doing it with plants and using supercomputers to get it done even faster. Let's have a listen. We're at HPE Discover, and I've got a really interesting guest. We're uh, standing in a field. We're going to be talking about plants and genomes. This is Dr. Sebastian Schultheis. He's with a company called Computomics. And uh, you guys do uh, what's called plant plant bioinformatics, uh, which is a mouthful. But basically, you guys are sequencing... Uh, I guess the genomes of plants, right. much like uh, the human genome was uh, sequenced. 
a few years back. Exactly, yeah. So the first human genome was sequenced in the year 2000. It was a public effort, and it cost about $3 billion to produce that amount $3 of data. $3 billion. Yes. That's a lot of money. And how and, much and data did that take? It's about 90 gigabytes, which was a lot at the time, um, which is a 30x coverage of the human genome. And last year, one of our co-founders was able to produce that amount of data uh, for his own genome uh, for about $180. So this enormous price drop means that we can now look at plants and other organisms and sequence them. So from $3 billion to $180? Exactly. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's huge savings. And so how, how does your company work then? You work in conjunction with HPE. We use, their, we use their hardware yeah. um, to produce these uh, genome assemblies. So the first human genome was assembled um, with uh, similar algorithms that we use today. Um, they have been a bit advanced now, but um, essentially it's still the same job. And unfortunately, many plants have larger genomes than the human. So uh, human, uh, the 90 uh, gigabytes that I mentioned, um, that is a 30x coverage of a 3 um gigabase genome. So if you save it as a text file, it's three gigabytes in size. And um, wheat, for example, has six times larger genome than humans. Really? Yeah. Are they more uh, complicated than we are? In a way. Yeah. Uh, but the reason actually is that plants can't run away. They grow where they grow and they have to produce all of the nutrients at that site. They only get water and sunlight usually. And um, they have to be able to produce all of what we call vitamins for our own consumption. Uh, that's why we eat plants, because they are able to produce all of that. And they have more genes and also typically larger genomes. And uh, how many plants are you guys going to be sequencing then? So far, we've sequenced about 34 different crop species. Um, we are working with different customers and whatever their demands are, we basically help them produce uh, reference genomes for their specific varieties and then we help them predict which crosses to make in order to get the kinds of plants that they want. Usually it's yield, higher yield that they want or it's um, more nutrients or better taste. Uh, different breeding goals call for different optimization and that's where we use AI methods to predict um, which plants to cross with each other to get to that goal. How well does it work? It works quite well. So using AI actually increases or doubles the accuracy that you're able to achieve with statistical methods that people have been using in the past. And our company is um, the first one offering machine learning based prediction for plant breeders. How long does it take to sequence a plant? So a typical sequencing run, um, depending on the machine that you use for that, uh, can take between a few hours and a few days. And then uh, the assembly um, on one of HPE's Superdome Flex machines, for example, also takes a few days. And then you have uh, that kind of um, reference genome that uh, people produced in the year 2000 for the human genome for the first time. What does that mean, assembling it? It's like um, putting uh, the same book through a shredder uh, several times and then trying to piece together that book from... Oh my uh, God from these little pieces of paper. Uh, many of them can be blank, so you don't really know where they might go, but um, some of them contain some text and then you're able to, to piece it together. And you do it several times, several copies of the same book uh, to get the coverage of it all. So during sequencing, some of the pieces might get lost and not all of them are co covered the same amount. So you have several fold coverage of the same book and put that uh, piece of puzzle back together. What's the biggest challenge for you guys going forward then? 
So what has been the biggest challenge and what has luckily been solved with Superdome Flex's ability to have this memory-centric architecture where you can stack several servers and the operating system sees them all as one memory, uh, one piece of memory, and all of the CPUs are available uh, to programs running on that computer. Um, that uh, has solved this problem of putting together that puzzle in memory. We had to do that uh, in chunks. Um, it wasn't possible before. Okay. So it now enabled us to really do that for the first time because, um, as I said, the human genome, that was possible. It was smaller, but these larger genomes need more memory to be able to put together. Well, uh, thanks very much for uh, joining us and good luck. Thank you. Well, that was uh, an interesting uh, interview. Uh, it's amazing how much it cost to do the human genome uh, back, uh, you know, a number of years ago, $3 billion, and now they can get that down to $185. It's, it's, it's just like the Ancestry or, or, you know, a 23andMe. Now they've got it down to a point where it's commercialized and uh, very exploitable for business purposes. Well, it's interesting, uh, you know, he talked about uh, wheat, uh, but, uh, you know, here in Canada now, cannabis uh, is legal, so I know a lot of uh, cannabis uh, growers are very interested in this type of technology so they can maximize the yield they get per crop. Yeah, and also to um, help them better identify their own strains that they can then presumably, you know, trademark or protect and they have it right down to the, the DNA sequence. Yeah, I know not everyone uh, agreed uh, with the cannabis uh, legalization, but, uh, you know, I think it was coming uh, and probably about time uh, anyway. Everyone was smoking the stuff uh, anyway. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's an opportunity for Canada really to be a leader uh, in this in this area. Absolutely, being one of the first uh, free countries in the world to do that at such a large scale. And, you know, honestly, has there been any real downsides that we've seen at least? Not yet. Not yet. We'll find out. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to go back uh, down to the show floor and uh, talk to uh, some HP, HPE folks about uh, kind of the eBay of uh, vehicle data, which is fascinating. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Uh, Mike and John here. We've been down in Las Vegas uh, this week covering the HPE Discover convention. Uh, we're going to chat now with uh, a fellow about uh, vehicle data. Uh, you know, we have all these sensors in our cars. They're capturing all this information. Well, turns out that's valuable information that people will pay for. So we're going to find out how that all works. Have a listen. Well, when a lot of us think about blockchain technology, I think we think about cryptocurrencies, but it's so much more. I've got Christian Reichenbach from HPE. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, sure. Thank you. We're in front of a car. What does that have to do with blockchain? Uh, well, a lot. You yeah. know, a car today is equipped with 120 to 140 sensors. Wow. That's capturing everything that happens in our environment. Windshield wiper status, rain intensity status, and everything you could imagine is measured and captured by the car today. So the question is, what happens with that data? Is there anything you can do with the data? Maybe you want to share it with someone else. But when you share data, how can you make sure that only the person who is allowed to can, can get access to it, but in return, you get a benefit for it? So actually, data is an asset. And if you want to share an asset, maybe blockchain can help you to secure that sharing transaction. That's why the, the car and the data of the car has something to do with blockchain. Well, that's important, obviously, because when it comes to data in the car, not only is there privacy, but there's uh, security and safety issues as well. For sure, for sure. You have to think about that this data is like the new gold, right? In our digital era we are living in. So how you want to secure that the gold and how you want to transact and exchange that gold. And 
you can use a middleman, but then the question is, is that the right architecture for a global digital economy? Or if you want to use a more distributed technology like blockchain to make that exchange able and happen in terms of sharing the data between peers, customers, partners, and so on. So how does this all work? You guys are partnered with, uh, I believe, Continental on this? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, HPE and Continental formed a strategic partnership roughly two years ago where we, because we share the same vision how the mobility industry will evolve. So Continental focused on the future of mobility. HPE want to advance how the, the people, how, how the people live and work. So we share the same vision. It's a perfect fit to work together to drive digitalization in the automotive industry. So the expertise from Continental, being the second largest automotive supplier in the world, with the expertise of HPE able to construct architecture and operate world-class IT systems and services is a perfect fit to make such a new concept, a data monetization platform possible. So we joined the forces here, everybody brings in his expertise, and now we are open to involve and go into the market and discuss with car manufacturers how they want to jump on our platform. So how can they use this data? Well, you need to think about that a lot of mobility services that are consumed and provided into the car heavily rely on data. If you don't have enough data, the quality and the fidelity of your service is not on that level that your uh, drivers might expect. So if you want to really create exceptional customer experience, exceptional driver experience in that car, you have to have access to a large data pool. Today, most of the OEMs, the car manufacturers, have only access to the data pool of their own fleet. And now think about that you are a premium brand and you might not have millions of cars on the road or in a specific country, you only have a few. So if you only have access to your own data pool, you might not be able to provide the groundbreaking new mobility service to your drivers. So our platform enables car manufacturers to buy data from other car manufacturers ah, okay. to increase the amount of data uh, data in their pool to be able to provide a better, higher quality service or maybe provide services that no one can dream of today because their critical mass of data is not there yet. Well, that's interesting. So Lexus, for example, might not have a lot of cars on the road in Nigeria, so now they can go and buy that, uh, exactly. that data to exactly. help improve their cars. That's right. And we've done it on a ad hoc contracting base. Again, blockchain and a smart contract technology enables us here to make it really purposeful for a specific region or for a specific sensor that you might interest it as a car manufacturer and buy that for a specific time. Today, the solution that exists in the market are centralized brokers yeah. and there are you know, huge contracts, uh, mostly worldwide covering and there's a long negotiation cycle between the car manufacturers. With our eBay-like marketplace for vehicle data, you can just go onto the platform, go zoom into a specific region, select a specific car manufacturer and their, their data that they are offering and subscribe to the data stream. And efficient, secured, worldwide available with blockchain technology. The eBay for uh, vehicle data. The eBay for vehicle data, exactly. That's a, that's a fair analogy. Very cool. Thank you very much for joining us. Oh, sure. Thank you. Let's uh, go drive and get some Bitcoin. Here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Go forward. I just think that's so cool. I, I didn't realize how many sensors are in our cars. Uh, and, uh, you know, they weren't really doing much with that data. Maybe the car manufacturer who made the car, but now they can actually make money selling that to others.
Well, and all it's going to do is make the roads safer for everybody if we're all sharing that data. And, and, you know, so people can still have a different kind of vehicle that has a different set of sensors that all is contributing back to the main pool of data for everybody. When we come back from the break, it's skills time. We've got our uh, Amazon Echo skill of the week. So if you've got uh, an Amazon Echo with the Alexa voice assistant, you have to stay tuned. We've uh, got a, a cool one for you. This is Get Connected. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. we got a bit of time left here. Let's talk about Amazon uh, skills. And these are uh, voice commands that you can add to your Amazon Echo speaker with the Alexa voice assistant. Uh, literally, there are hundreds of thousands of these. So what do you got this week, John? So uh, something that I use all the time is I use Alexa to uh, for timers. And I just found out that you can actually name your timers. Ah, because I've got a few going at it yeah. at one time when I'm so you, you barbecuing you, you, and stuff. Right, yeah. So Alexa set a 30-minute timer for cookies, and then she'll announce your cookie timer is done. Oh. So you just, all you have to do is name it at the end of the request, and then it For the cookie timer. For the cookie timer. For, for the, the barbecue. steak timer. Right. Yeah. This is going to change my life. Me too. Because I've sometimes got three timers going, yeah. but I just don't know what's going on. Right. Yeah, yeah same. No, this is like life-changing tip. Yeah. <laughs> I still want to get one of those clocks. The Alexa clock, have you seen that? Yes, yes. That you can tie into your timer? It's a round, analog-looking clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's like 25 bucks or something like yeah, that. Yeah, my wife will love having another <laughs> Amazon thing in my... Thing in that you my... have to talk to. Yeah. You know what I've been really getting into, John? Uh, I got that new uh, Google Nest Home Hub. So it's like a Google Home, but it's got a color screen on it. Right. It, it is so good. I love my Google Home. Yeah. Um, my wife loves it too. She's even gotten into it. But now with the Nest Home Hub, it's like a Google Home, but with the screen. It is so great. Like for doing recipes mm-hmm. and things like that in the kitchen, it it is amazing. Like it will actually display everything right on the screen. It'll even talk it through with you. It'll go line by line. It is it is life changing. That's amazing. I'll yeah. have to check it out. Yeah, you got to get one of these things. I know uh, Amazon's just coming out with their uh, Echo Show 5, right. which is a new one. I think in the 100 to $150 yeah. uh, range, I think probably to compete against yeah. uh, Google's uh, one there. It has a color screen as well, I think a 5-inch, hence yeah. the name Echo 5. Uh, I haven't checked that one out yet, but I'm looking forward to, to doing that uh, mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, I, haven't, uh, I don't have any screens on any of my uh, uh, smart assistants. No? And Yeah, and... The kitchen one makes the most sense, I think. I, I think what's different with the Amazon uh, Echo Show 5 is that it's got a camera built into it. It has a privacy screen, a manual one, that you can put over it. Um, that's the one thing that uh, the, the Google Nest Home Hub doesn't have. There's no camera. Right. Which makes more I, sense. I think a lot of people are happy about that. I kind of wish it did so yeah. I could do some video conferencing. But then I'm thinking, who am I going to video call? While you're, my, while you're in your well, kitchen. Well, well, <laughs> while I'm making crepes. Mom, how do I make this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Google probably knows better. Right. <laughs> so, don't tell your mom. So, yeah, I'm interested. Uh, and it's so interesting. Like, I, I have both in yeah. my home. Do you? I just have uh, Amazon. Okay, you didn't go Google. No. No. Any reason? Uh, at the time, it was cheaper. Yes. Because um, you could get uh, the Alexa, you know, Echo Dots for... Very little money. You could plug them into any speakers. Uh, and so it was a really inexpensive way to put lots of Bluetooth speakers around your house that you can control and play. And I just just used to it now. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I want both in my house, though. Yeah, I've got them everywhere now. And I and now I want to put one in my garage. I have one in my garage. Do you? Yeah. To yeah. listen to music? Uh, to listen to music. I have all my lights in my garage, and oh, I have all my 3D printers in, in my garage. And yeah. they're, all, they're all on smart switches and stuff like that. So oh, like, so you can turn them on and off yeah. with your voice. Yeah. 
and literally I can turn them on just having Alexa to the Batcave. <laughs> your, your garage must be crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. Yes. How many 3D printers you going, got going at any one time? Uh, well, actually running a, a handful, but yes. there's over 20 in my garage right now. Good God. Yeah. You're like a 3D printing store. Pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, that's all the time we have left for Get Connected. We really want to thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to listen to the app show. It's on every Sunday here on CKW 980 from 10 to 11. We talk about all the latest and greatest uh, apps. Uh, and it's also available as a podcast, just like Get Connected here is as well. You can get that at the uh, podcast uh, store uh, from Apple and also available uh, where you get your favorite uh, podcasts on Spotify uh, and also uh, Google Play uh, as well. This is Mike and John logging off for Get Connected. We'll see you again next time. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.